Um, all right. So I'm going to shift into my message uh, this morning. We are going to be talking about sex. It'll seem somewhat It'll seem somewhat similar to my message that I spoke on Thursday night, and some of you may be like, come on, give us something new, and I'm, purposefully, it's similar, but I'm building off of it, and the reason I'm doing so is because we have to repeatedly hear the purpose of sex in God's eyes. We have to hear it over and over again, and we have to consume ourselves to renew our minds to God's view of sex, sexuality, and of ourselves. And the moment that we get bored with God's view of sexuality is the moment that the devil will sweep us back into culture's view of sex. We cannot get bored, we cannot get uh, dull to God's perfect design for sex. We have to be intrigued, We we have to be in awe, we have to be seeking to understand it in ways that are beyond what our initial responses to it. Because you'll hear me talking today, and you'll say, oh yeah, here it is. Sex is designed for marriage. One man, one woman, in, you know, in marriage. And yep, we've heard it all and all again. But if, but if you'll tune your ear in, you'll start to hear this morning. You'll start to hear the nuances and the, and the, and the beauty. But not if you take the mindset of, I've already heard this. If you take the mindset of, I've already heard this, then you're going to check me out, and you're going to check out, not check me out, you're going to check out, and you won't pick up what God has for us this morning. So this is not going to be as much of heart work as it is brain work, but still, a lot of times, heart work, or all times, heart work and brain work are connected. <laughs> so we have to get our heart right, but we also have to get our mind right. So who's ever stepped on a Lego? Like, it's amazing to me how humans have survived this long. Like, because Legos have almost taken me out. You know, like, stepping on Legos hurt so bad. And there are uh, two different ways to play with Legos. I loved Legos growing up. Two different ways. You can take the Legos in the box and you can follow the instructions that are given in order to build the Lego, or you can dump the Legos in the box into your all previous box of Legos and just have a big box of Legos and then you get to create whatever you want to out of the Legos. And most of us have done unknowingly in, in a sense, not even in our own, and not even on our own choice, we have taken the, the approach of creating a view and a, and a really a belief about sex without the instructions. We've dumped all these things into our box of Legos, and we've not even because we wanted to and because we're evil, but because we're broken, we've tried to make sense of everything in our lives. To build our view of sex. And so, because I like pictures and images, I brought mega blocks, big Legos. So, we're gonna be, I'm gonna be using these um, just as an illustration throughout the message this morning to help us and just to give you a little bit of an um, insight into my thinking. Um, so, this side over here is, is maybe how we've naturally grown to view sex and sexuality growing up. 
And I'm using just the different colors to show different areas that we've taken in order to build our belief about sex. And over here, I have my only blue blocks to really showcase God's view and how when we base it on God and the Bible, it's pure and it's not pure as in blue's pure, but just the same color, if that makes sense. So that's the way I was like running my message and like this image popped in my head and I was like, I'm going to run with it. And so what we want to do is we want to build out our theology, big word, or our belief about sex over time. We want to we have a biblical or a God view of sex in our hearts. Before it can get in our hearts, though, we have to get it in our minds. And so that's a part of what we're going to do this morning. So the original design of sex can be found in Scripture. And we must pursue the Scriptures, we must pursue wisdom, we must pursue others who have gone before us in order to not have a third grade or fifth grade understanding of sex, but we must have a robust, mature, and in personal view of sex that no one can take away from us. And the problem is, is that we've been, if you've grown up in the church or you're here, you've probably heard that sex is between one man, one woman, and marriage. And I would say that is a view of sex that is biblical, but it does not define the purpose of sex. It is too fifth grady and is not robust enough in order to, to, to stand the test of the pressures that we'll feel in our lives. So we have to build this robust belief about sex. And here's the beauty, is that we are not on our own. We do not do this on our own. We have the scriptures to show us, and we have the Holy Spirit who will help us to develop a biblical belief about sex and sexuality. The Holy Spirit will help us. He will help us. Nick said it last night so beautifully. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't. Without us, he won't. We need Holy Spirit, and we need to bring ourselves. So my first point is that we need to develop a biblical vision of sex, or you need to, we need to, that you can own. Like, you have to own it. And so as we, as we speak about the biblical view of sex, I'm going to reference the same passage that I, that I spoke at Access. It's Genesis 2.22. I'm going to expand on it a little bit. And the rib, and this is the creation account in Genesis 2, where the Lord uh, God makes woman out of man. And the rib that the Lord had ta- God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then uh, the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. True intimacy. We find this passage also in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. It says, uh, Jesus being asked about divorce, he references Genesis 2. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage and sex is not casual. 
Look at that last phrase. What God has joined together. That when we, are, when we have sex, there is a joining. But when you have sex in marriage, God joins you. When you have sex outside of marriage, you're joined. With all the brokenness that comes from living outside of God's design. But when you do it in marriage... God joins you. So, and then we also see this in Ephesians 5, the same exact reference. Do you get the point? This is a pretty big reference. Jesus, is referen- Jesus references it, and now Paul references it in Ephesians 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Here's my first point that I want to make. In, so, God designed sex right? But before he designed sex, so in Genesis 2, it says, the the man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, covenant, and the two shall become one flesh. That's referencing sex. And so there's covenant, and then there's sex. So covenant is made first. I think it's an interesting distinction, and, and it's not just sex is for marriage. Why is the covenant made first? The covenant is made first. When you say your vows on your wedding day, what you'll do is make vows, promises to God that you are going to love, honor, serve, that you're going to lay your life for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. You're creating the safety in a relationship that is based not on my feelings towards you or my sexual attraction towards you, but it is based on a love that is this agape, self-giving, committed love that we see in Christ. I make that covenant to a person that I'm going to marry, and then after I make that covenant, then sex is in the covenant, Why? Because God loves humanity and doesn't want them to experience brokenness, pain, hurt, rebellion, and trauma. He doesn't want us to. And that's inevitably what happens when sex and sexuality takes and runs its course in our lives, as we've all experienced. And I'm not here to blame anyone or to make you feel condemned because God is not judging us. He's saying, come to me and learn from me how I view sexuality and forsake whatever it is that you've created throughout your life because of what culture has taught us. And he's, not, he's not a judgment. It's actually an invitation. And so intimacy is experienced Within that covenant, it's the safest place to be. You're opening yourself up into the the naked, totally naked, unashamed. You have all of you, nothing hidden. No, there's nothing. There's no baggy sweatshirts to hide your chub. There's There's no nothing that can hide your body. There's no nothing that can hide anything that you have. It's just you. And when you do it outside of marriage, what are they going to think? Are they, can I perform well? Am I going to, you know, is this going to happen? Are they going to love me? There's all these questions when we, when we enter into sex outside of covenant. But when you do it inside of marriage with God at the center and with God as the, the, our supreme ruler, we, we have this under, not that it's not vulnerable and confusing and, and, and there isn't, 
anxiety that comes from it because anyone who's been married can say that there is anxiety still in the sex, in, in the bed, as it pertains to sex, even though you're married. There still is that. But now you have, the, you have this covenant between you and God and that you can grow together in sex. But why sex? What is God's vision for sex? It's made for marriage. What's God's vision? The biblical vision. So in, in Genesis 2, in Matthew 19, and Ephesians 5, tell them I said hi. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, we see God's vision for sex. We see covenant, but then we see the two shall become one flesh. Intimacy with our spouse. You can throw up the next slide. Intimacy with our spouse. Nothing hidden. And this is a picture of our relationship with Jesus. He died so that we could have intimacy with the Father. Hebrew 4 talks about we approach his throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we'll find grace and mercy in our time of need. We, nothing hidden. Nothing hidden between us and the Father. And then he says, now I want you to take that approach of nothing hidden between you and your Savior and now have that be expressed between you and your spouse. And learn what it looks like to have this love be translated horizontally in marriage and then in your family and then in your friends. But the marriage is where you're, we're designed to experience the intimacy that we have with the Father with a human relationship. And I will, I will state here, we're not going to get in depth about it, but that it is male and female. It is man and a woman, and our culture is invading those boundaries in trying to make Christians feel like they're hateful and bigoted and ignorant because we have a narrow-minded view of sex and sexuality. And we can, you can ask questions about that in the afternoon. What I'll say to that is, this is not narrow-minded at all. This is God's view designed for humanity so we can experience the beauty of sex. Now, there's some who are same-sex attracted, and so what do we do to help those people connect with the Father and find their path towards glorifying God? And I'll get to this later on in this message of how we, as maybe heterosexuals, need to relate to the same-sex attracted people in our community because they are here and they are most likely in the room who's had temptations towards same-sex attraction. And I'm not here to tell you that you are less than if you are. I'm not here to tell you that you're, you're broken because you're not any more broken than me. And I'm here to say that there is ultimate fulfillment in Christ once we tear down the idol of sex that our culture has placed in our hearts. We have to tear that down. Second is motivate sacrificial love for spouse. And I, I reference this, but I'll say this again. When you have sex, there's a, there's a, there's a hormone in your brain that's released. It's a chemical. It's called oxy, uh, oxytocin. Is that right? Okay. Oxytocin. And that's a called the, it's called the love hormone, but it's a bonding agent. It's released in both the man and the, the, man and the woman when they have sex. And even in same-sex attracted uh, sexual experiences, this is released. It's, it's released and it bonds you and binds you in your mind, in your soul, to that person. God designed it this way. It happens in pornography. That's why if you've watched porn, you can actually think back and completely remember entire scenes of pornography that you watched. 
you can play it back in your mind a scene that you've watched. It's because of oxytocin that's released in your brain. God designed our bodies and brains that way. Our sex drive is good. Our, our, our bodies are made good. Your bodies are not bad. Your sex drive is not bad. God designed oxytocin to release. He designed us to have uh, hormones that, that are attracted to have sex. He designed us that way. And it's our, it's our obligation as Christians to pursue God's design of it so that we can experience it to the fullest, not so we snuff it out and never get to have fun. It's actually most fun when you do it God's way. It's most enjoyable, I should say. And so this hormone, oxytocin, is released in our brains in order for us to be connected to our spouse in a way that is different from every other human relationship and is designed to motivate self-sacrificial love so that I lay down my life for someone. It's not just a commitment that I've made. I've made the commitment, but now God supercharges that commitment by allowing us to experience the oxytocin release to love that other person like you never could if you didn't have sex. And so it's not, okay, then I'll keep moving. And then the third is to have kids who witness sacrificial love. This is the mandate found in Genesis also, which is to take dominion over the earth and to subdue it, be fruitful and multiply. Sex is the way in which we multiply the earth and bring glory to our Father in heaven. Sex is designed to give glory to God within the boundaries in which he created it. And so our kids, when we procreate, get to witness self-sacrificial love. And that way they can see and we can point them to Jesus and say, the only reason we love one another like this is because he loved us first and he's made us new on the inside. And the Holy Spirit has been so gracious that we would be able to forgive and love and work through conflict and, and, and lay down our lives for each other as humans. And sex is a motivator for that kind of love. And as we procreate, and as we have kids, they witness that love. Now, if people have had kids uh, outside of marriage, or if people have had kids and then divorced, or there's all different situations, God redeems all things. He redeems all. I know, a t- I know too many married couples who are Christian, who never had sex before they were married, who are miserable and treat each other like total crap. Seriously, even though they have sex. I know men who idolize sex so much, and not that they use their wife, but it's almost as if they just use their wife to get a sexual release. But they had waited till they were married. And so my point is, just because you do it the right way, and you've outwardly um, built a view of sex that seems like it's pure, doesn't mean that you're actually knowing and understanding and pursuing the purpose of sex which is to motivate self-sacrificial love and to lay down your life for your spouse, to procreate in order to see if your kids see self-sacrificial love. And then the last is pleasure. It is fun. That's why everyone does it. <laughs> Sex is enjoyable. It is real. Our bodies crave it, especially if you are um, getting emotionally connected. If, if we have engaged people in the room, we have dating people in the room. Once you start, like, like dating isn't, isn't biblical, meaning like dating, like we don't have prescriptions for dating in the Bible. 
And so once you start opening up emotionally, we have principles that we can live by as far as boundaries, but dating wasn't a thing. There was arranged marriages. I'd be like, you and you, you're getting married. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> Love each other. Um, where was I even going with that? I just totally lost my train of thought. Pleasure, pleasure. that's right. Pleasure, yes, pleasure. I, I totally lost my train of thought. Where was I before that? Oh my gosh, help me. Oh, there's no dating in the Bible. Yeah, so like when, once you connect emotionally... Your body, God designed that when you connect emotionally, he designed your body to say, okay, now your next step is sex. So that's why we need to have boundaries in dating because our bodies will tell us the opposite. What I did, I mean, some people do it, it works out. I dated my wife for three years. I mean, that was very difficult. <laughs> and I would say we were far from perfect. We, we had, as Rachel referenced it, we had dry sex all the time. We made out, we crossed boundaries, and, we, and it was just like, we felt terrible. We made so many promises, like, we're never going to do this again. We're never going to do this again. And then a month later, we like right back to where we started, and we didn't bring anyone else into the relationship to talk about it, and we dated for three and a half years. And here's my point, is that you can still, right, God can redeem all things, and there's no perfect situation, but you have to realize that if you're going to do that, you're kind of like especially as a man, you have to realize that if you're going to date a woman, you cannot date her in that, like, with no end in mind. You can't just say, I want to date you because I want to snag you up before someone else does. You have to have a plan. You have to say, I have this purpose of sex that God, I know and I've seen the vision. And I also understand my body and my sex drive that if I get close to this person, I'm going to want to have sex with that person. And I know that I don't want to cross that boundary. And so I have to create boundaries. So we'll get into that later. But so the last is to have ple- is to give us its pleasure. It's a gift from God. God gave us sex, and so we have to walk towards this with our life. Uh, uh, we have to walk towards this vision in our life in order to experience the grace of God. It cannot be in our head. It has to move in our life. We have to our life has to move in the direction of God's vision for sex. So here's my next my next point. We have to walk towards that vision with the Holy Spirit. So. What I'm giving you today is you're building in a sense. This is not going to be, I'm not building anything in particular, okay? I'm just building a tower. We're building a view of sex and sexuality. We're in our minds. We're like, okay, this is how God designed sex. Okay, this is what it's about. It's for love. It's for self-sacrifice. It's for... uh, it's for procreation. It's to bring glory to God. We're like filling this in our minds and we're like building a picture of what sex is and what it's all about. This is really funny looking. I love this. And so we're building out this view of sex and we're saying this is what the Bible says. This is God's view, right? And so we're building it out. I should have had Emily do this. You should have built something just beautiful. You would have put it all together. It would have been so awesome. And so we're building out the view of sex And so we're getting a vision for it. That's pretty neat, right? Let's do one more. There we go. (laughs) Cue Remmer coming in and then destroying that. Okay, that's what happens at home. So we get the vision of sex, right? Leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife in the covenant of marriage to bring so that I can have intimacy with my spouse with like no other. And so that I can have so it can motivate self-sacrificial love so that I can have kids who can witness that love and then also so that I can enjoy the gift that sex is. So we have that in our minds and we see it in the Bible. 
But here's the reality. We've been tutored by the wrong people, by the wrong influences, movies, music, experiences, pastors. There's like some good stuff that we have. We're like, we know, like we know it in our head. Experiences, trauma. We've had sex. That's influenced our belief on it. We've watched porn. We've, set, we've sent nudes to someone. We do have dry sex. There's all these experiences that we've had. We have voices of celebrities, and now we have this crazy, and, uh, we have this crazy teaching in, about gender and sex, and that we have same-sex. So all of our view of sex, like our view of same-sex attraction and LGBTQ issues, you don't real, that is influencing your view of sex. Like that cultural pressure is influencing us. But then we have also our, our whole life. When we were exposed, at what age we were exposed, how our parents treated when they found out we were watching porn, how our parents treated us when they found out we were having sex, how our parents taught, what, what did our parents teach us about sex? I remember I was, I had a Christian friend, Christian, he was a cultural Christian in high school, and he told me that his parents just said, make sure you just wear protection. I was like, wait, you're a Christian? He's like, yeah. What? What do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Like, your parents just said, just wear protection. That influenced me. That influenced me. Like, I still remember that conversation. Am I wrong? You know, you have all these questions. So you have... This is awesome. So you have... This is your view of sex. It is a conglomerate combination of your life. There's some blue pieces in there. Pastor taught you, maybe your parents, maybe our culture, because our culture used to be a little bit more conservative when it comes to sex in some, in some regards. But you have your ideal. You have your ideal over there. And you want to live that ideal but this is what you believe. You don't even know that you believe it because we're such complicated beings and so many things have happened to us, but this is what we believe. But we want to believe that. And here's the deal. We have to walk towards that vision with the Holy Spirit. So when God sees you, he sees that. But the Holy Spirit's job is to get you to over time look like that. He already sees you that way, but the Holy Spirit's role is to walk with us, to revisit our past, to revisit those experiences, to revisit our beliefs, and to consume our minds and to renew our minds so that we think purely and biblically about sex and sexuality. And as we pursue God, the Holy Spirit changes our beliefs, not our thoughts, our beliefs over time as we pursue that. Is this making sense?
It's pretty, it's pretty basic, but it's profound as we keep moving. So we have to walk towards that vision. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so as we walk towards the Holy Spirit, we have to stop doing things and start doing things. Stop watching TV shows. Just recently, I was convicted that I needed to stop watching The Office. There's so many crude sexual jokes. And now, I'm not saying you have to do that, but I had to. We have to walk towards Christ. We have to have a conversation with our girlfriend or boyfriend about developing new boundaries. For saying, our saying, we're saying yes to sex. We're saying yes to this. And so we'll create boundaries to protect that. In prayer, we have to continue to ask Holy Spirit to heal our hearts, to think more clearly and accurately about sex and sexuality, and we have to pursue God's identity for who we really are. Here's, my, here's just the, the, the reality of it. We have to live it out. Like, this weekend might be a stepping, like a step for you, but if you don't do the work to renew your mind after this weekend, this will be of little to no benefit to you. It'll be little to no benefit. It might be a step, but you have to live it out. You have to take steps. You have to revisit each of those little pieces, and you have to say, God, why do I believe this? And show me how I can renew my mind. Show me biblically, and I'll give you some examples. So it's when we start to live out our ideal that we realize how perverted we really are. Not us, but how we grew up. It's when we live it out. See, the devil won't touch you if you won't move. He'll just leave you there and you'll, you'll, create enough, you'll attract enough demons on your own. But once you start moving, that's when the devil's like, let's go get him. I was talking to someone last night and they were like, I haven't had any issues with this. And then as soon as I decided I was going to come to real talk, I was tempted as soon as you start moving, the devil send, sends his demons. And he'll, he'll get you to stop addressing those areas. But once you start moving, you have to realize the devil's strategy and keep moving. And if you sin again, you keep moving towards Christ. And if you watch porn again, you keep moving towards Christ. If you beat yourself up again and you're self in depression and condemnation, you keep moving. You don't stop. God already views you as pure and holy and righteous in his sight, and he's just standing next to you saying, let's walk towards that together. We have to give ourselves grace as we fail forward. So our vision is where we are going. It is actually not the standard of perfection that we have to hold. Hear that again. Our vision of sex is where we are going, but it is not the standard of perfection that we have to hold. So once we get the vision, as humans, we often, we hold ourselves to the standard of our vision, and then we beat ourselves up when we don't live up to it. The vision isn't so that you have to be perfect. The vision is to give you a direction to go. Does this make sense? So we walk towards purity. We walk towards this design. And over time, the Lord renews us. So another step that you can do is read books. Read books, read books, read books. 
Read more books. We have all those resources. Read the scriptures. Renew your mind. Watch messages. Watch sermons on YouTube. You have to, you can't, we can't assume that just by changing our mind that we're going to be all okay. Think about how many sexual messages you've gotten in your lifetime. You have to undo and redo all of that and start building out a more pure vision of sex every week. There's no time off of this. Because the, our culture is always sending us messages. It doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter if you're engaged or you're single. All of us, even if you're married, the devil attacks you even more. Because he's going to try to pervert your sex life so he can ruin your marriage. It's all of us. We have to keep the vision of God's design for sex, which is for intimacy with one, to bring glory to God, and so that we can live out right? Self-sacrificial love to one another. And I know it can be hard because we do have sex drives. And here's the crazy thing, is as I've walked towards this vision for my life, it has not been a one-time thing. I can't tell you how many times I said, God, I'm never looking at porn again. From the time I was 12 years old all the way until whatever, uh, low to mid-20s, I'm like, I'm never doing this again. And right, and it was just like, it just, oh, but what I, what I discovered is that as soon as I got real and I started giving myself grace, I slowly started, my mind started to change. My body started to change. My cravings started to change over time. I'm going to share a few examples of how that happened for me, and then I'm going to close. My first one is I was dealing with, um, I, had, I had, in a sense, experienced that revelation of it was for God, right? And it was for the glory of God. I experienced that. But then I fell back into pornography and masturbation. And I was going to the Lord, and I was like, God, I never want to do this again. And he shared this revelation with me. He said, you know the time that you're having intimacy with those women on the screen? He said, you're actually designed, that space was designed for me. No one's watching. Okay, let me explain that a little bit. The time that I'm watching or masturbating is a very intimate experience. God revealed to me that the, that quiet time, the time when no one's looking, the time when no one's around, he's like, the devil's trying to steal that time. That time was designed for me. He's like, the devil wants you to have intimacy with these demons, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, he said, but, I, but that desire isn't a bad desire. You've just placed it in the wrong direction. See, I used to beat myself so much. I'm such a terrible, and he's like, just shift that. That desire is a good thing. Shift it towards me. Because your desire isn't bad. It's good. God made it. But he made it to be satisfied in him. So then I started to read the scripture and I started to be intimate with him and be honest with him. And it wasn't just reading the scriptures. It was like expressing my heart. And then all of a sudden, that was a step. But then I went back into it. Over time, because of stress and anxiety and all these different things, that I got back into it. And then I have this experience where I'm reading books and I'm having all these things. And then all of a sudden, oh my gosh. I read this book, I read uh, Wild at Heart, and then I read a book by Jimmy Evans, and they show this, this new teaching, and you've heard it last year if you were here, and I've also shared it with a lot of guys. It's called, I, I've kind of combined it, and I called it the four tanks of love for men, and there's four tanks of love for women, and it's purpose, intimacy, companionship, purpose, intimacy, companionship, and adventure, and there are these tanks of love, and whenever one of those is empty, purpose, intimacy, companionship, or adventure, Whenever those is empty, I would fill it with, with masturbation. So the Lord showed me. He's like, 
you don't have a masturbation problem or a lust problem. You have, you have a heart problem. And as a man, you need more adventure in your life. As a man, you need more purpose in your life. As a man, you need more, you need more companionship in your life. So instead of beating myself up, I felt bad enough. He says, I, he gave me an action step over time. And the last thing I'll say, the last experience that I had that really, really helped me was I learned this tip um, where you invite, in prayer, you invite your temptation to the front porch. This is probably a year later after that, or maybe, actually, maybe a little bit longer after that. Invite your temptation to the front porch to have a conversation with it. And I did that. I was really feeling like I wanted, my sex drive was there, and I was like, I really want to do this, but I, don't, I really don't want to do this. So I said, okay, temptation, come to my front porch and have a conversation. So I imagined myself on my front porch, and I invited it up, and I was going I was going to cuss that thing out. <laughs> you have to get off my porch right now. You know what I mean? Like, <sighs> that's what I wanted to say to it. And then as soon as it approached, it's like I sensed it approaching. I sensed it approaching. And then all of a sudden, I got this sense that it wasn't evil. I was like, what do you mean this isn't evil? It was like, it wasn't evil. It was neutral. And I was just like, what is going on? It was the Lord directing me. And, I'm, and, I, and I, I came on the porch and it sat next to me. And I said, what are you? And it said, I'm stress. I, I started weeping. Because I'd beaten myself up for so long. Because I thought I was just a terrible person and a hypocrite. And all the while, it's because I didn't know how to cope with stress. What? It was like a weight lifted off my back. Man, if I could just learn how to cope with my stress, then I wouldn't... I could honor God with my body and mind so much more. You see what I'm getting at? Is that over time, I'm not saying this is me, over time the Holy Spirit shows you and he takes out those blocks and he replaces them because you're working towards your vision and then he comes in and my last point is he does the heart work. He does the heart work. He builds that vision so we're pure in his sight and we're acting out our purity and righteousness to bring glory to him. The last thing I'll share before we close, I'm a little bit over time. The last thing I'll share as we close, this is a shocking thing to me, is I started learning of the vision for sex and the purpose for sex from, tra- from trans- ex-transgender Christians and same-sex attracted Christians, specifically four people, and it blew my mind. I almost was like, what the heck is going on right now? Cy Rogers, who's a pastor who's an ex-transgender Lori Krieg, who is, you'll see her, she's from Grand Rapids. She has a ministry called Hole in My Heart, and she has a book called An Impossible Marriage. Jackie Hill Perry, who's a woman who is same-sex attracted. She has a book called uh, Good God, Gay Girl, or Gay Girl, Good God, one of the two. And then last was one of my friends, Brad Claver, who's a counselor at Winning at Home, who's same-sex attracted. And they all had to go to God and lay down their idol of sex. And they all said, God, even if I never have to have sex again, I will pursue you in intimacy with you and I will believe and have faith that you can satisfy every part of my being even though I never have sex. And when I heard them say that, I was like, whoa! I am not there. I still have an idol of sex 
that, that I feel like I need to have my sexual needs met in order for myself to be happy. And when they started painting that picture of tearing down the idol of our sexual needs, I started to get a better view of what it meant to be a son of God and to find my fulfillment in Christ. And it was with an ex-transgender and three same-sex attracted people who loved Jesus and forsook their idol of sex. Man, that's humbling. We have a lot to learn from people who, who have done the heart work and have lived experiences like same-sex attracted people and who have not succumbed to the pressure of culture but have sought Christ in intimacy with him and found fulfillment like none other. And just to hear the testimonies of what God's done in their life. All right, I'm going to um, close out in prayer and then we're going to break out into our uh, breakout sessions. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for giving us the vision of sex, the purpose of sex, the gift of sex. God, you've made us really beings that have sex drives, and that's a good thing, God. Continue to renew our minds and to give us a vision and show us how we can undo the damage that was done in our childhood and in our teenage years, God, so that we can, over time, believe and live out what it looks like to be pure in your sight in a really a perverse generation so that we can bring more glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So.